0: Well, good morning, everybody. If I hadn't had a chance to meet you, my name's Scott, one of our pastors here, and I'm excited this morning. I've got I've got something burning in my soul to, to share with you today. We're continuing to unpack some things that I really sense the Spirit telling us about uh, the subject of prayer, and I'm not going to do a whole lot of review this morning because we want to get right into some things. So today... We've been talking so far about the kind of prayer that has like a particular kind of time and place, praying specific prayers, setting a time, that time to, to commune with God uh, in intercession and petition. And we need that set apart time. That's very, very important. Uh, it's vitally important. Just like if you were in a marriage, uh, you're gonna, you need that time together. Moms and dads, you need time away from the kids. There's, there, that's good. That's a good and holy thing when you can just look at each other's face and pay attention to each other. That's important. So also with our relationship with Christ, we need that, where we need that individual time on a regular basis uh, daily where we are just talking to God in an undistracted way to bring Him our, our whole self, our whole self. But there's another kind of prayer that I want to talk about today that uh, in some ways it may be as much or not more foundational to our life as a, as a believer, even more than that kind of set apart prayer, and it's the kind of prayer that Paul is getting at in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says, "Pray without ceasing." In the Greek, it literally means that word without ceasing. It means to pray nonstop, continually, like from here to here without any gaps, is what that word means. Is there any more intimidating phrase in the entire Bible? for a Christian. If you were like me growing up, you're like, okay, we're going to go from verse 16 to verse 18, because that is kind of a scary verse for some people. Uh, So, if you're like me, the first thing you probably ask yourself when you read something like this is, did Paul really mean to say that? Um, Or, and number two, how on earth do you pray continually? This can seem very challenging, and so much hangs on this very fundamental question. How do you live your life in a way where you're always talking to God, and how do you make your life this sustained act of communication with the Heavenly Father? And to some people, praying without ceasing can sound impossible, but I encourage you to just hang in there. Um, It's not impossible, and you're going to see. First, I want to take us on a little short detour, uh, as I often do, to show us how we got here, us as in human race. Uh, And then we're going to come back and tie this together to how we can like supercharge our life and become the praying church. First, we have to understand a little bit of spiritual history uh, of the human race, and I'm going to summarize it in, in 60 seconds, okay? You ready? Here we go. Human beings were created in the image of God, right? Created in the garden in the image of God. Male and female, he created them in the image of God to live in constant communion and communication with their creator. That's how we were originally meant to live. In constant communion with the creator. That's the picture of perfect relationship we see in the garden uh, with Adam and Eve. Intimately communing with God, with each other, and with God's presence in this beautiful way. This did not last very long, as you know if you get to chapter 3. And since that moment when humanity chose independence from God over communion with God, humanity has suffered, suffered separation from God from that moment. And so God comes along and He seeks to rectify all of this by calling to Himself a people. And this is the story of, that we get in Exodus, the story of the Israelites, even before Exodus, but he builds up to it. And he calls these people and he rescues these this, this people, of, they were slaves, and he rescues them from Egypt. And he has them, after he rescues them from Egypt, as they're wandering through the wilderness, he has them build a tabernacle. Where he would come and dwell them, dwell with them in a real and tangible way, a tabernacle is kind of just a really fancy word for it 's kind of like a tent it 's a, it's a, it's a dwelling place that's portable, a tabernacle but this tabernacle that they built wasn't just you know a little canvas tent it was it was beautifully designed by god there's chapters that go into the organization and the design of this tabernacle. Um, god gives them detailed uh, instructions about how to build it. And it's filled with lots and lots of incredible, profound symbolism, which we don't have time to get all into, but it's a beautiful study. And it was called the Tent of Meeting because uh, this was literally where people would meet with God, meet with His actual holy presence. And so right there in the middle of this desert was a kind of, of oasis is what God was having them create. And there's, it's a kind of an Eden. It's like a restoration a little restoration of Eden right there in the middle of the wilderness that the Israelites would have with them as they're wandering through that desert. And they identified this as the place where God dwelt. Later on, the Israelites, uh, they settle in the, the promised land. They're not nomads anymore. They're kind of, they're in a place now. They've settled there and King Solomon comes along and he builds a more permanent dwelling place. That is the great, temple, the temple of Solomon, and it was grand, it was glorious, it had the same symbolism uh, going on inside and outside as the tabernacle had, but it was on an even grander scale uh, trying to capture the glory of God in this very opulent building. And this wasn't just the tent of meeting, this now became referred to as the house of God, they would call it. And really, uh, it became the center of Jewish faith for, for a thousand years, the temple, and the temple represented their assurance that however terrible things may ha- be happening around them, they could have the confidence that, that God was present with them. And, and the, so their faith was really anchored in this temple. And you find hundreds of verses throughout the Old Testament of, of people just celebrating the temple, literally a building, uh, celebrating it. That temple that was filled with the glory of God and all that. Um, Psalm twenty-seven. The psalmist says, "One thing I ask the Lord, and this is that the only this is the only thing I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord." And he's not speaking about the sweet by and by or something heaven. He's talking literally that I may dwell in the house he, like God. God, just let me live at church. I just want to live here in your presence. That's kind of what he's like. He's speaking literally. He wants to dwell in this house of the Lord. And he's expressing the longing of his heart, but also it's really a longing of the human heart. There's a part of all of us that wants somehow to just dwell with God, to be with God in this ongoing, continual, unbroken way. We want that. We, we crave it. And it wasn't fulfilled in the Old Testament. It couldn't be fulfilled in the Old Covenant because God's presence in the Old Testament is associated with a building. Now, Another interesting, let's go on a side note to this side note for just a second. Uh, there was a famous scholar in the 20th century. He, he's passed away now for a couple of decades. Uh, Mercy Eliad, and he, he's this Romanian religious scholar. I, I, we, we read this book when I was in college, and, and uh, today he's still being taught in lots of different colleges and seminaries. Uh, he wrote this book called The Sacred and the Profane. The Sacred and Profane, and what his research revealed was that religion in throughout history uh, it has been premised on this distinction between the sacred and the profane. Now, in the, in the scholarly version of the word, profane simply means that which is not sacred, that which is not, you know, spiritual and godly. It doesn't mean like profanity, like evil. It just means natural. So, the sacred, we would maybe use the word secular, the sacred and the secular, and it's so. What he found is like all living beings, all living uh, human beings. On the on on some level, we have this awareness uh, that life right now in this secular world, the the dirt and air of this world, is it's kind of like living in a desert world. And desert in the Bible is often symbolic. It's a metaphor for the secular world, that place, the space in between the places where, you know, you're supposed to be or you were, and it's that in-between, that wilderness, that godless world. Uh, and and so in this desert world, all people have this, on some level, this, this awareness that there's something just wrong, right? Don't we all kind of have that craving? There's something just wrong in this world. It's, it, you may have grown up in this town, but it still doesn't just feel like your home. It doesn't feel like the place you're really supposed to be. And it feels empty to us, like there's something missing. And this is what Poets throughout the centuries have, have, you know, noticed about the human heart. There's some futility in this life. Uh, there's something missing. People are hungry for some greater connection. And what religions are all about, the scholar found, was, was that to express this, this longing of the heart, people try to, to bridge the profane or the secular and the sacred world because there's like this awareness that we're, we belong someplace else. We're not at home. And sometimes they might name it the presence of God or they might have some other word for it in some other religion, but that's the longing of their heart that they're, they're striving for. And so religion, religions recognize this sort of divide between the sacred and the secular and what religions come along and promise, they promise to bridge that gap. Religion promises to bridge that divide between Uh, the sacred and the secular, through religious works. Do these religious works, and that will help you bridge, and you'll get over there to the sacred area. It's kind of like you read the story, remember, in the Old Testament of the Tower of Babel, right? What did those guys want to do? They wanted to build, they just weren't just like, let's try to build the highest building ever. They weren't just like really ambitious architects. They were wanting to reach who? God, God, that's, that's uh, the essence of religion, to get up there and by their own efforts, let us build this thing and we will reach God, bridge that divide. The Bible is really the opposite of that. The Bible is a very anti-religious book when you kind of understand what religions of the world are getting at. Uh, It's more than just a history of people pursuing God or trying to find God. The Bible is the story of God pursuing people, reaching out to pursue humanity, to to capture them again. It's the story of God in His blessed world, His, His sacred world coming down to our secular world to transform this desert planet Back into a kind of Eden, right? That's, that's what he's, he's doing. and Make it the world that he initially planned on it being and someday it will be again. And his plan that started in a garden and then moved to a tabernacle and then to a temple. And then finally, that plan comes to a head with the birth of a baby. And John in the New Testament, we get to the New Testament. The Apostle John describes God coming into the world in the form of... Of, of Jesus Christ, and the way he describes it, it's really clear that John, when you kind of understand the the way the the Jewish thinking of the t- the tabernacle, he's got this temple tabernacle imagery in mind. He's thinking of Solomon's temple in, in chapter 1. He says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling and some of your versions might say, and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Because Jesus, we know, is the embodiment of God, right? It, we see the glory of God in Jesus. It's the holy presence of God in the person of Jesus. The word that John uses here is this word skenoa and it's 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 a word, the word for dwelling place or to dwell. It literally means to tabernacle, to tabernacle. In fact, Young's uh, literal translation, he translates it that the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. So John is using that language very, very uh, intentionally. Um, And and so Jesus, for, for them, Jesus comes and like, it's like they were getting to live and walk and camp out with like this living, breathing version of the the temple, the tabernacle, this walking temple. And so what John is saying is basically that the, the glimpse that they had in the Old Testament with that tabernacle and the temple, well, now he is here in person. He's here in person. God himself has come and made a permanent dwelling with us. And he's taken up residency as one of us. He came to become one of us. He's not just living in a tent. He became a human being, right? And and so the Word made flesh. That's one of the names of Jesus, in fact. Emmanuel. It means that God with us. The Word come and be with us. Paul puts it like this in Colossians 2. He says, for in Christ all of the fullness of the deity, for that word all there is that word pos, it means everything, everything, not just some, but all. And then the word fullness is this word pleroma, it's this word that means not just a portion or a part, but the completeness of, all of the deity, and that word is theotis, which means everything that makes God, God. It's like all the fullness of God, everything that makes God, God, the fullness of everything that makes God, God, lives in bodily form in Jesus Christ. You couldn't say it more powerfully than that, right? Jesus is the very image of God. Everything that makes God God dwelt in. In Jesus Christ, He takes God takes human form. The fullness of God dwells there among us. Right? Never let anybody tell you that Jesus was just a great teacher. Or he was just a, a nice rabbi or a spiritual guru or somebody to like, uh, you know, some kind of coach to help you get through life. He's the Son of God. Right? He's the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. He's the King of King and Lord of Lords. He is Jesus Jehovah. Amen. So now here's here's a reason why this is really important, and we're getting we're coming back. I promise we're coming back to prayer in just a minute. But here's, see, when the New Testament describes what happens to us when we surrender our lives to this Jesus, it uses a lot of language. But the thing, the phrase it uses over and over is being in Christ, in Christ. And this isn't just poetry here. There's 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 some kind of real and some real, you know, like ontological metaphysical sense. Our address changes when we come to Jesus, when we surrender to him. The New Testament says stuff, Like this, that we're saved in Christ, that we're put into Christ, we're cleansed in Christ, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, we're sanctified in Christ, we're put in Christ, we're redeemed in Christ, we're adopted as children in Christ. It keeps using that, that language. We're chosen in Christ, seated with Christ in heavenly places far above all principalities and powers. Everything that happens to us in the gospel happens in Christ. Now, if Christ is the embodiment of everything that makes God, God. That means that we are put in the center of everything that makes God, God. Now that's good news, right? That's good stuff. Because talk about the presence of God. Oh my goodness, right? Realtors tell you the most important thing is what? Location, location, location. Well, here's a location for you. You've been placed in God, in Christ, right? In the center of the one who is the fullness of God. So, so that is, that's a location for you. That, that thing that we have longed for all of our lives, you are now, not someday, not in the sweet by and by, now, the moment you surrender, you are put in the presence of God. That's your new address, right? That's your location. And wherever you go, you take that with you. Wherever you go, you are in Christ. See, don't leave Christ behind when you walk out the doors this morning. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. And not only that, it gets even better. In the New Testament tells us not only do we get to put on Christ, but Christ gets put into us. Right? So the Bible calls us the temple of God. Paul says a couple, several times over in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, you yourselves, and he's talking to the plural here. He's talking to all of us, us church people. You yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. So together we're the temple of God and God dwells in our midst. He repeats it over in chapter 6. He says, don't you know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? right? And he's, he's talking to these people in Corinth because they're acting like Corinthians did back then, which it, Corinth was kind of an immoral city, right? It's kind of the ancient version of Vegas or something. It, just, it was just sort of whatever. They, they treated their bodies like amusement parks and anything went. And so he's like telling God, don't do this. Don't do that because not only is it wrong, the te- you're des- God is living in you. Don't desecrate the temple of his spirit. So, this is good news for us. So, wherever we go, you are a walking, talking Solomon's temple. Amen? Amen? The temple got, got torn down like 2,000 years ago. It got burnt down. But you are still the walking, talking temple of God. Praise God. And you're, you're decked out. And all the glory that was within that temple, that is within you. Yeah, you. You got all the holy bling going on inside you. God dwells in you. And, folks, see, if we get this truth that when you surrender to Christ... You get put into Christ and God, God is put into you. And what that means is that this old, secular, sacred distinction of the Old Testament and what world religions are all, bless their hearts, are still trying to sell us. What they're all trying to prop up no longer has any meaning to us. It has no meaning. The idea of a profane place Versus a sacred place. Or a sacred moment. Versus a secular moment. It can have no meaning. To the disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay. Who. If you know who you are. If you know what has happened to you. If you know where you are. Where your location is. If you know where you dwell. And you know who dwells in you. Wherever you go. You are in the presence of God. In God's presence is in you, and that makes it a sacred place and a sacred moment. Wherever you are is a sacred place and a sacred moment. This distinction between the sacred and the secular, it is rendered obsolete. It's just abolished in Christ. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, Behold, all things are new. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. It's not just the old creation still walking around. There's a new creation going on there. It's all new. There's, there's, there's no place you're going to go that is not a holy place. Did you know that? You can't go anywhere that's not a holy place because you showed up. You have showed up and you are in God and God is in you, right? And you're in the presence of God all the time. All right. So we get in that? Now, I understand this really clashes with religion. It could even clash with with our Christian religiosity because some of us came from a religious background. And so we're going to have a hard time getting our heads wrapped around this because you've been conditioned to think in this old sacred, secular mindset. Uh, Some folks, that distinction is everything. They kind of like built their self-image of holiness on keeping that distinction alive, right? Uh, and and you, you you know some of you you know you didn't go to, you didn't just go to church you went to the house of God right <laughs> and you acted different in the house of God you acted different there cuz God the house of God was a church building the house of God wasn't getting together with other fellow believers in the in the body it was the building you act different in the building you treat the different you, you know it's a special sacred building you had to dress up in a certain way you had to act in a certain way um it is very unnatural for some of you, might have come out, come out of a different kind of um, ecclesiastical tradition or something like that, high church tradition, where you, you had objects that were more holy and sacred than other objects. Some of you, you know, you, you kissed a Bible when you walked through the door. You know, some, I've talked to some of us who do that. Or you kiss the cross or whatever it is. There's water that's, there's sacred water. It's different from regular water. There's sacred bread. It's different from regular bread. And you have sacred days. You've got the Sunday is is a more sacred day than the other day. So, you know, you know, might do that on Sunday, but you don't do it on Sunday because that's a special day. There's holy days that are different than other. you got sacred people where the priest is, uh, the saints are all closer to heaven than you are, right? They're the sacred people uh, and so they're different and it's all based on this sacred secular distinction and I'm here to tell you folks if if you're in Christ and Christ is in you then that distinction really has no meaning Amen. other other than just a nice tradition or a nice little cultural something but it has no real ontological meaning to us anymore you don't go someplace to find God you are in God all the time Amen. right God is in you all the time. We don't even go to church. We are the church, right? We don't go to the temple. We are the temple. You don't go find the presence of God. We live in the presence of God. You live in the presence of God all the time. So we don't wait for a sacred moment to happen because every moment to us is sacred because every moment you are in God and God is in you and that makes it sacred. Your life is lived in sacred space. It's blessed. The only way, you see, when you kind of get this, the only way for you to be secular is by forgetting that for you nothing is secular. That's good. Propping up the old sacred secular divide. That's actually kind of a worldly thought. That's a secular thought. It's not kingdom truth because you're always in his presence and his presence is always in you. In fact, this, this doesn't make, you know, when we say you're You don't come to church, you are the church. It doesn't make coming together less important. Oh, now it's more important than another because I'm not just coming to the sacred building. Who cares about that? I'm coming to experience Jesus in you. You are a sacred being. And I want to experience the Jesus in you. And and hopefully you want to experience a little bit of Jesus in me. And we can, oh, now we can have these divine moments because the body of Christ is coming together. It's more important than ever. And this reframes everything, guys. It transforms every moment of your life. But see, we're conditioned, we're conditioned, we're conditioned so strongly by this secular world. And where this can, I I, I see this as a a problem, more of a danger, is even believers, disciples, we can live 90%, maybe 99% of our waking moments. Good Christians who might act in normal, good ways, you know, you don't do anything terrible or break the law, but... You might live 99% of your days uh, not thinking about God, not aware of God, not talking to God. And so we live our life as functional atheists. And this term simply means it's a Christian who you might believe in God, but there's no really external discernible thing about your life that anybody would say, oh, that's a Christian. The way you act, the way you react, the way you treat your enemies, the way you treat the poor, if it's the same as everybody else, it's functional atheism. It's a Christian who lives as if there were no God and we're saved. We're saved. You go into heaven. God dwells in you, but you don't benefit from it. You're not, wa- you're not aware of his presence. His presence is there, but she's not aware of it. See, isn't that something? We can actually be aware, we can actually be in the presence of God and not aware of it. You ever been in a worship service and you were like, whoo, I felt all the feels, right? It was like the Holy Spirit was just falling all over me and the guy next to you is just sort of like, when's lunch, right? Because that's the way it works. And in in functional atheists, we're we're saved, but we don't benefit from it. You might believe in him, but that faith has no impact on your day-to-day life. You're a functional atheist. And God's presence is with us. We're not aware of it. We're not yielded to it. And, and, a fun, and when you live in functional atheism, you, you'll take breaks from your secular experience to come visit Jesus on Sundays or whenever it is, when it's prayer time, or maybe to be involved in a ministry or something. But you're taking breaks from your, your secular experience to visit Jesus. And then we remember God sometimes when we pray or when we're going to say the blessing <laughs> before the meal. And But then after it's done, we're back to ordinary time, our time, right? And I'm not fussing at you. I mean, I, I'm guilty of the same thing. This It takes continual reminders like, oh, wait, oh, I'm in the presence of God, right? Because we don't naturally just feel that way all the time. So we have to remind ourselves. And God gets excluded from our daily awareness. And so for the mission, the mission of, a, of a disciple has got to be part of our mission It's got to be to be moving in that direction where we wake up to the sacred in each and every moment, each and every ordinary moment. It's easy here. Obviously, you know about God here. But it's the next moment, an hour from now, waking up to his presence in those ordinary moments that follow. And In other words, the the ordinary is not secular. It is sacred. And so we want to wake up and remember in every moment of our lives that we are in the presence of God. We're in the presence of God. We just have to surrender to him. Now, here is where things get down to the nitty gritty. You and I have to, this goes for brand new Christians or whether you've been a Christian for 80 years, you and I have to relearn sometimes what it means to surrender our lives to Christ. Think about, uh, how do you, what do you think about when I say to surrender your life to Christ? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? A lot of us think about maybe that, that prayer of salvation, right? Oh, I surrendered my life to Christ. I was 19 years old and I said that prayer, you know, that's when I surrendered my life to Christ. But think about it. The only life that you live is the one happening right now in this, this very nanosecond, right? The past is gone. The, the past includes the sentence I just said earlier, or the beginning of this sermon, or yesterday. The, that's gone. We're all done with that. The future hasn't even arrived yet. So this right here is the only thing that is real. Right here. Your life is, is a series of, of present moments strung together. That is what living is. So you can't surrender your life in the abstract. Like, well, I've surrendered like this sort of theoretical life I have. No, no, like you do it once and then forget about it. Surrendering your life means to surrender the reality that is this moment and now this moment and now this moment. I'm surrendering this to Christ. I'm surrendering my being to Christ. It's why Jesus says this, and I love this verse This is gonna mean so much, John 15, verse 4. He says, Abide in me as I abide in you. He's talking to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Because we're in him and he's in us, right? Because those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. The word for abide here is this word minnow, Um, and it means to remain, to stay put. And it's a very important word because the opposite of this word is visiting. It's when you drop by, a come and go. You ever gone to a come and go shower, a come and go party? No, no, no. This is this is stay and put. Jesus is saying, don't visit me. Abide. Abide in me. Live here. Right? Some Some of us... Treat Jesus like, like he's our live-in boyfriend, like he just comes by every once in a while. He keeps a toothbrush there. No, Jesus is saying, Marry me. Right? <laughs> I want to live with you. I want this to be my home. I want where I am to be your home. Let's make this our permanent address, and then you're gonna bear much fruit. And as kingdom Christians, new covenant Christians, we should aspire to making Jesus, not just something that we we visit every once in a while making Jesus our permanent abode, our permanent abode. Now, folks, that means staying awake to Him all the time, surrendering to Him, living in Him, including Him moment by moment, including Him. And and finally, now, here's where we get back to this idea of prayer, because this is what Paul is getting at when he says, pray without ceasing, pray without gaps in between. There's literally that word Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Because think about it, Paul's not, he's not wasting his time doing, telling us to do something that would be impossible for you to do. He, he's not going to waste his time doing that. And God wouldn't allow some useless command to just take up space in the Holy Scriptures. So this is something we can actually do. We're supposed to actually do. So how do we actually do this? Today, I want to give you, and uh, you know, we've talked kind of big, high-level, 10,000 miles up. We're gonna, I'm going to give you two powerful tools to, to make continual prayer a reality in your life. And it's not, I'm just going to set you at ease. It's not anything exhausting. It's not uh, something that requires you to memorize a lot of prayers, right? Uh, or it doesn't require a lot of creativity. You're not going to have to quit your job and join a monastery in order to just pray, you know, walk around the garden and pray all day. You're not going to like bump into trees because you weren't paying attention. This is this is about allowing God's Spirit to wake you up to something that has already been true for you. Sometimes we're just not awake to it, okay? Now, here's what's interesting. That Greek word for prayer there is this word prosukomai, prosukomai. And it's made up of these two words, and it combines these two words into one. And the first word uh, is, it means to face in a direction, pros, it means to face. So like if, 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 uh, if you came up and were talking to me, and I was on my phone, and you were talking to me, and I was like, mm, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. You wouldn't feel very loved or important, right? That would be rude, right? Our teenagers do this sometimes, you're like, look at me, put that phone down. This is what it means to set the thing down and say, I'm I'm giving you my attention because you're worth it, right? I'm talking to you. I'm going to look in your eyeballs, (laughs) right? Sometimes Mel tells me, look at my eyeballs. I'm not sure if you're really listening. So I'm going to look in the eyeballs, right? Full attention, face, turn to face. And so that's what this first part of this word means. And then the second uh, part of the word means to speak out loud, to speak out loud. And so the core meaning of this word pray is turning to God and speaking to God. That's pretty simple, turning to God and speaking to God. And this gets at our very two practical tips I'm going to give you uh, it's to help you make this become a reality. Number one, tip number one, practice making your thoughts a three-way conversation. Practice making your thoughts a three-way conversation. The idea here is really simple. Um, it's including God in on your thought process. Psychologists tell us, and you could probably uh, affirm this just from your own experience, that normal everyday thought, if you're like me, is a two-way conversation, How many of you talk to yourself? The answer is all of us. It's been proven we all talk to ourselves. You really do. And some of us do it out loud. Don't judge me. We just have to do it that way. We process out loud. Um, and so we when, you, when you're having this two-way conversation and you think about it, all day long, part of you is talking to another part of yourself. You're saying like, hey, look at that. No, oh, don't look at that. That's interesting. Oh, wow. How about that? Oh, that poor person. That's interesting. Oh, that, that looks cool. Ooh, that looks yummy. That's usually what I'm saying. That looks delicious. Um, we're constantly talking to ourselves. and uh, and uh, but, but for the disciple, see who abides in Jesus, we're aware of something very special, that Jesus is in us, and we are in Him, and His presence is actually with us. And so it's simply a three-way conversation. We're learning to include God in on that thought process, right? Jesus is right there with us. And so we're thinking, just be aware that God is there. Just be aware He's there and get in the habit of processing out loud with Him. And uh, and this doesn't require you, see, it's not even requiring you to think extra thoughts. You're already thinking the thoughts you were thinking. You're just recognizing that Jesus is right there He's just been waiting. He's like, whenever you're done, I, I have something to say on this conversation. If you were just standing there between two friends and they weren't acknowledging you were there, Jesus is right there. So let's just, hey, Jesus, we're including him in our thinking. And this doesn't require you to set aside lots of hours each day or build a war room in your backyard or anything like that, right? This is just including him in on our thinking you can do this during even mindless activities washing the dishes and going jogging and things like that and it starts with an awareness that Christ is right there with you including him on that conversation and what you find is he will begin to say stuff he'll say he'll have something to say about the thing that you're just thinking about he'll lead you and guide you in this way because, because we know we're in Jesus and He is in us. Every moment is a sacred moment. God is there with you, whether you're buying the groceries, whether you're, you're that can be a sacred moment. Washing the dishes, as I said, it can be a sacred moment. Driving the car, giving the kids a bath, mowing the lawn. These are sacred moments. These are sacred moments because you're in Christ and Christ is in you. And, and he, he can use you, see, to, to bring the kingdom into that environment, wherever you're at. You bring the kingdom into that environment. Every moment, every place, every time, every person that you're around is sanctified because you're there. You're there. One of the loveliest little books um, of all time, I think, is this uh, collection of conversations and letters by this super humble little Frenchman back in the 1600s known as Brother Lawrence. And it's it's just a Easy little read. I've read this book several times just to, because it's so beautiful. It's, he wasn't even a priest or anything like that. He was just a lay person, and he just had this revelation of the presence of God, and his conversations have been recorded for us. But he has this quote, "How can we pray to him continually without being with him? And how can we be with him but in thinking of him often? And how can we have him in often in our thoughts, unless by a holy habit of thought which we should form? There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and more delightful than that of a continual walk with God. And so for for Brother Lawrence, whatever he did, wherever he went, no matter the circumstances he was in, he strove to live in the presence of God, sharing his needs with him, listening, sharing his observations with the Lord, and listening for God's word to speak back to him. Because remember, prayer is not just all about words. It's not all about talking, 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 talking right? Prayer is about communion. It's communion with God. And, and, and you don't take your, your sweetheart out on a date and do all the talking, hopefully, <laughs> right? You do a lot of gaze and, and looking and just listening and being in love or whatever it is, right? Whatever whatever it is. That that is prayer. Prayer has got all of this involved. So we practice being in his presence, allowing the thoughts and conversations that we're already having to include the Spirit of Christ. And we're waking up to the presence that's already been with us this whole time. Alright, the second thing, here's the second tip. Practice flash prayers with other people. Flash prayer how many of you have ever heard of a flash prayer? I see some hands out there, yeah. So, th- yeah, there we go back there. Um, there was this uh, missionary back in the 1940s, Frank Lawbuck, and he wrote a whole lot on prayer, but he has this one really, I think one of his, his best books, it's from 1946, it's called The Mightiest Force in the World, and he came up with this concept of flash prayers, like sending flash prayers out, and, and there's a lot of different versions of it today, but he sort of came up with it. But flash prayers are very simple. It doesn't take a whole lot, it doesn't take a whole lot of words, but it's simply when we see someone in need, we we send a we flash a prayer their way, right? Uh, if someone comes to mind, you're just walking around and your neighbor, your friend, your church member, your family member, whoever it is, you just see their face. You just you just immediately say, Father God, I thank you for blessing them, right where they're where they're at. Or you might know of the need that they have, and you thank you for meeting that need that they have in Jesus name, and you give them. And, and Lord, you see, uh, Lord, that that person I just walked by in the the grocery store aisle, they. They don't look happy. Whatever's going on, just give them your peace. Reveal yourself to them, Lord. And uh, so and you hear an ambulance go by. How many of you do that? I remember growing up, we hear the ambulance go by. We say, thank you, Jesus, for healing that person, whatever's going on in their life. You know, that's like a flash prayer. And you don't got to say a whole bunch of stuff. You don't say, dear heavenly father who doth live on high and you beseech us with our... No, no, you're just, thank you, father. Because you're just talking to your dad. So thank you, Father, for touching that person right there. And it's, it's continually being in his presence and recognizing that he's there. And, and it, you can do this in the five seconds it takes to walk out the front door in the morning. You're waiting for the elevator to ding, whatever it is, wherever you're at. Um, for Frank Laubach, this guy, he, this was how he uh, trained himself to actually live praying without ceasing. This was an important concept for him. And he, came up, he had other things. He talked about this. But really, when you think about it, this is kind of another side of living in that three-way conversation, isn't it? But now, instead of just thinking little thoughts, hey, look at that person in need over there. I wonder how Ted and Nancy's doing. Well, now you're, you're responding in that moment with prayer on their behalf. And you don't have to say a whole bunch of words. You're not trying to impress God. That's not the point. You just see their face, and you offer up their names to the Lord. And what happens is prayer for us becomes almost as regular as breathing, it's just, in fact, there are some people who talk about this idea of a, of a breath prayer. It's just, it's almost like every time they, they take a breath, it's thank you, Lord Jesus, for being with me. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And that's just, it becomes like, it's just existence, right? It's our waking moments because you're talking to God in a conversation throughout the day. This is not about judgment and more rules and laws and, oh, you've got to do this or you're not doing it right. It is just about including God in with your thoughts, and, and recognizing that He is with you. He's with you at all, at all times. You're directing your thoughts to others. But what all this really boils down to, as I said, is waking up. It's waking up to the God who is already with you. Notice in none of these prayers, you're like, God, please come be with me right now. Please hear my prayer. I hope you're hearing. Please, if, if you could take some time out to stop your busy day and just listen. You're not having to do all that because He's already right there. He's walking with you, he's walking with you, he abides in you and you abide in him, amen? Amen. And, and also, I would just say this, this doesn't take the place of those dedicated times of prayer in our day, because those are very important. Those are where we, we do connect with God in a, in a specific way. And he forms us, we pray those formative prayers, we pray those prayers of petition on a deeper, more, uh, you know, we're contending for things. Uh, but this is a beautiful way to just live our whole life. It takes desire. First of all, you've got to want to do this, right? Because it just doesn't come naturally. We're talking about something supernatural. You have to be intentional about it. Decide and just tell the Lord, I, I want to start doing this, Lord, so help me to start living this way. It will take grace for yourself because you're going to do it imperfectly. That's okay. Uh, I've been trying to uh, practice the presence of God for, for almost 20 years and... Um, There are days I do really well, and there are days I look back and I'm like, oh, I wasted this day. God, where were you? I'm so sorry. Yeah, I didn't even acknowledge you hardly, and I do it imperfectly. So there are days, but I'll tell you this, it's worth being intentional about it. It's worth it uh, because this is not just about you, like, feeling better. This isn't like a self-help thing. It's not just about you feeling the benefits of his presence, although, of course, you will you're going to find yourself beginning to bear fruit. How many of us are like, God, I just wish I bore more fruit in my life. Where's the fruit? When you practice this, because this is where God can begin to use you as we're communing with him, as we realize that we are partnering in life with Jesus. He can use you. As you're listening to God, you're walking in his presence. Now he can say, Scott, I want you to go over there. All right, I just want you to go ahead and reroute those plans you had. I know you're on your way to do this, but I just want you to do this. Notice that person over there. I think they need a conversation or they need this, or just help them out and give them this. Or why don't you, you, you share what you have with that person? Because see, now you're beginning to function like the body of Christ, um, as if Christ were really there. And it becomes more than, than just a nice image, it becomes real to us because we're awake. It's about awake, waking, waking up, right? Waking up. Have you ever tried to stand up after you've sat too long, and your foot has got all the tinglies, and you try to stand up, and it's pretty much useless, and you're like, oh, you, you know, you're hobbling around trying to wake, wake it up. It's good for nothing until it wakes up, and that's what it's like to go through life as a, as a functional atheist, 100% occupied with our own thoughts and our own agendas and our own plans, being Lord of our own life. God can't get a word in edgewise and maybe we come visit Jesus once a week or every, every once in a while. But, but that's, it's, it's functional atheism. And how many opportunities do we miss because we're just not listening. We're like, we're like, we're asleep with a, f- like a foot with no circulation. So we got to wake up. We got to wake up to, to His presence and abide in Him as He abides in us. Amen. We're going to take communion together right now. If you have those elements, you can take those out. I'm going to get mine ready here. And if you're at home, we encourage you to do this with us. Um, just grab a piece of bread or a cracker and some juice with you. If you're with us today and you're not a member of this church, we we definitely want you to to take communion with us. If you call Jesus your Lord, if you've made Jesus your Lord, then, then you are already one of us and we, we want to take this together. Um, amen. 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty three. 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do that right now. The body of Christ broken for you. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given us. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of Christ shed for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Will you just bow your heads with me and let's pray as we ask the Holy Spirit to just seal this message on our hearts this morning. Abba Father, Lord God Almighty, I thank you so much for your presence. We don't take it for granted, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the, just the outrageous beauty of your whole plan here, where you have given us more than we could ever imagine. You've placed us in Christ and you've placed Christ in us, and, and that is just a reality that changes everything lord i pray that god lord help us to stay awake to this this fact holy spirit please be reminding us whatever else we're doing this week as that whatever else we're doing that it's not as important as the fact that we're in you and you're in us help us to remember that simple reality so that we can pray more fervently we can pray more effectually more honestly and more continually we thank you lord for communing with us in this moment and the next moment and throughout the day. We thank you for that. In the name of the crucified and resurrected Savior Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Amen. We'll stand to your feet this morning. Uh, our prayer partners are coming down front right now. If there's anything you need prayer about right now, we would love to pray with you. If there's anything going on in your life, maybe you need a prayer for healing or something going on with your job or just, just spiritually, just anything at all. Uh, don't suffer alone. We believe the prayer of faith is effective. And so come forward and let these guys pray with you. If you'd like to say yes to Jesus for the first time today, you're like, I, I like what I'm hearing. I want to know more. Come forward and let these guys take that next step with you and, and guide you in that. We would be so thrilled to do that with you. Um, So my friends, may you go forth and may you pray fervent, effectual, urgent, and, and honest prayers. And may you pray continually knowing that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Amen. Let's go and be Jesus to the world. Grace and peace.